going on, whether you're talking about warfare in Ukraine, whether we're talking about the assassination of the former uh, prime minister of Japan, whether you're talking about the fact that in Sri Lanka their own prime minister had to decide to resign because the building was on fire at the time when he left. But let's face it, you pick anywhere, anytime around the world today and you can find that things are in a mess. Nor is that something that's happening way over there. We've got plenty of reason to think about what's going on in our own nation. Here in, the, in our world, we recognize that it seems as though every day you're hearing about some kind of act of violence that's taking place somewhere in America. Some of them are things where someone is planned and organized. Some seem to just be random acts of meanness that are imposed upon people all around us. Not only that, we recognize the economy's in a turmoil. You're never more aware of that than when you try to buy some groceries or fill your tank of gas. I was thinking the other day, you know, we're going to reach a point before very long when you really won't need a grocery cart anymore because you can get all you can afford and put it in one little bag and walk it to the register. I was thinking the other day I had stopped to buy some gas at, at Costco and I thought to myself, what does it say when you're paying $4.39 for a gallon of gas and you're starting to think fuel's getting a little bit cheaper? Let's face it, the world is in a mess. Not only that, but social and spiritual values that we have embraced and held together for generations are all being challenged in unheard of ways. All of a sudden, we're discovering that things that used to always be wrong are now the things that are right. And things that used to be right are now the things that are wrong. And every week, it seems as though you're learning a new term to describe some kind of behavior that used to just all fit under one category. We call all of those things wrong. That's just wrong. And now we have to learn the terms and we have to learn the language. And one of the things we're learning is we're living in a world today where about the only thing that is always wrong anymore is to believe that anything is always right. The world is in a mess. Trusting God is continually under pressure now in, in culture and in media. Christian believers are being told you need to keep your faith to yourself or you're going to face condemnation. It may be something that will happen in uh, social media. It may be something that happens in public. It may threaten your workplace job. Let's just face it. The world is in a mess. So what am I trying to say to you this morning? I'm trying to say this, whether people want to admit it or not, whether they even realize it, we're living in a world that is desperate for a word from God. And God has given us that word in the book of Psalms. It is a word that answers a very basic question. What does God expect his people to do in the midst of a dangerous and uncertain world? When you live in a world like the one we live in today, when you see everything changing and it seems as though sometimes all of the wheels are falling off, what does God expect from his people? His message may surprise you because this is what the 92nd Psalm reminds us of. When the world around you is broken, he expects you to flourish. 
What does God expect his people to do in the midst of an uncertain world? He expects you to flourish. What does he expect you to do in a dangerous world? He expects you to flourish. What does he expect you to do in a world where morality is being challenged? He expects you to flourish, not survive, not endure, not persevere, not make the best of. The world, the Lord expects you to flourish in a difficult world. The Bible is an honest book. It never pretends you live in anything other than a broken, sinful world. God has never once said to his people, everything is fine, everything is sweetness and light, it's nothing but flowers that have a beautiful aroma. Just enjoy your life in an easy world. Instead, he says, you live in a world that is broken and sinful. It's a world you were born into, and it's one that you're going to spend the entirety of your spiritual life, uh, of your earthly life in. A place where bad things can happen and tragedy occurs, where life is not fair, where you can't always explain what is going on in your life. And it is in just that kind of world that God calls his people to flourish and to thrive. In fact, There is no time when the Lord should mean more to you than when you know you have to depend upon him. There's no time when your faith should be more meaningful, more bright than it is in a time like these when it seems as though everywhere you turn, things are going wrong. Because that's when the Lord steps in and takes care of his people and causes them to flourish. If you don't believe me, ask Abraham, ask Moses, ask Daniel. If you don't believe me, ask Jesus. God calls us to flourish in the midst of a dangerous and uncertain world. So how can you be sure that you're living a flourishing life? How is, what is God's formula for living out a life so that he is pouring out his grace in the midst of people who are living in struggling times? Well, let me tell you that. And we're going to be looking together mostly at the 92nd Psalm, but for just a little bit in the very first Psalm as well. And I think God speaks to us in the midst of this particular book because when you read the Psalms from beginning to end, you discover that God is speaking to his people in all kinds of situations and circumstances of life. And sometimes they speak out when things are going really well and sometimes when things are really falling apart and sometimes when they don't understand what's going on and sometimes when it seems as though it would be easy to become discouraged and give up and yet the Psalms continue to say to us, hang in there, stick with it, keep going, don't give up. God has a plan. So I want us to talk together this morning about how you can live a flourishing life in the midst of an uncertain world. And the first thing the Bible tells us is this. A flourishing life begins by trusting his plan. I want to make sure we understand from the beginning what that term flourish means. It has nothing to do with material abundance. You may have an abundance or you may have just a little bit. That doesn't determine whether your life is going to flourish. It's not promising that you'll always be happy. It's not even guaranteeing you that you're not going to face incredibly difficult seasons in your life. Psalm 92.7 teaches us to reject the easy definitions. That's where the Bible says, When the wicked spring up like grass and when all the workers of iniquity flourish, it is that they may be destroyed forever. What is he saying? 
The psalmist is saying this, just when it seems as though everybody who's choosing to do wrong is the, are the ones who are flourishing, who are abun uh, are, whose lives are abundant, you're going to realize pretty soon all of that's going to go away. What is the Bible trying to tell us? It's trying to tell us this. A superficial understanding of a flourishing life is about as trustworthy as the grass that is here today and gone tomorrow. If you judge whether your life is flourishing by how things are going on this particular day, you're going to discover that today comes and today goes. And if your dependence upon whether your life is flourishing just depends upon today, then you're using a wrong definition. There's a much richer plan. When the Lord describes a flourishing life, he declares that it has much more to do with what is happening to you on the inside than what is happening around you on the outside. So how does Psalm 92 describe a flourishing life? Well, it has several descriptions that we find there. It says, the righteous shall flourish. A moment later it says this, and he shall grow. And he shall bear fruit. And he shall be fresh and flourishing. Not might, not should, not ought to. Shall. He shall flourish. I love the incredible description in Psalm 1. The Bible says about a righteous person. He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water. That brings forth its fruit in its season. Whose leaf also shall not wither. And whatever he does shall prosper. So here, God, here is God's promise to you. When your life is right with him, you will flourish. Period. When your life is right with him, you will flourish. It may not be evident in the externals, but it will be so very real on the internal. But we also need to remember that the inverse is equally true. And when your life is not right, there is no possibility that it will ever happen, period. Flourishing has everything to do with your relationship with the Lord. His plan for a healthy Christian life is that it grows and flourishes all the time in every situation. That happens when you let him have his way. A flourishing life also realizes this. God's plan is a process. If you're going to flourish, one of the things you need to know is this. It is not an instant reality. I can't decide this morning, I'm going to let my life flourish. And by this afternoon, everything is going to be exactly the way it ought to be. Nor does it continue effortlessly. Flourishing is a constant process that continues throughout the life of a believer. It is the thing that God is always doing in you. It is not the thing that he does once and then it's finished. It is living a life in which the blessings of God unfold themselves and unroll upon your life time and time and time again. To define spiritual flourishing as a single experience and not something that goes on constantly would be about like making a trip down to the coast to see the ocean and watching one wave roll in and saying, okay, that's it, I'm done, let's go home. 
You don't expect that when you go to the coast, do you? Instead, you see those waves as continually, one after another, they continue to make their way. They continue to, to affect your life. They continue to give you the peace that comes from the roar of the sea. And in the same way, God's plan for you is that you experience a flourishing life that happens again and yet again and yet again as God continues to speak and move in the lives of his people. Here's the thing. Flourishing takes a long time to grow, but it lasts for a lifetime. It is a process. That's the point the Bible is making in Psalm 92 when it presents the great contrast. This is what it says. It says, the wicked spring up like grass, but they wither just as quickly. But the righteous are like trees that thrive and grow through all of the seasons and all of the passing of years. They are continually becoming more than they used to be. That's a really good description of spiritual maturity. A really good description of God at work in you is day by day, month by month, year by year, he causes your life to flourish. And external circumstances will change and sometimes things will be easy and sometimes things will be hard. But God's grace continues to pour itself out on you day after day after day. This is what you need to remember. When the Lord grows a soul, he takes his time. When the Lord grows you, he is committed at seeing the result, the outcome, not what happens instantly in your life. He's much more interested in who you're becoming over every season than he is what happens instantly. In fact, this is what Psalm 92 reminds us of. There are three seasons in a flourishing life. The first one is the season of surrender. This is when you learn to let the Lord have his way with you. Psalm 92, 13 refers to those who are planted in the house of the Lord. No prosperous tree ever planted itself. Instead, Someone came along and another hand planted it and deliberately cultivated it and prepared it so that it could become everything it had the potential of being. The Lord says, your soul, your life, his plan is like a tree. It grows deeper and it grows taller it grows richer and it grows stronger. It grows fruitful in its season. And that's God's plan. And then he says, so here's the contrast. You can choose the way of the wicked, which is here today and gone tomorrow. Or you can choose that long process of becoming more like him. But to do that, you have to surrender. You see, no soul ever prospered without the hand of the master gardener. That's why James 1.21 commands you to receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your soul. Receive the implanted word. That means that you surrender. 
season of surrender leads you to face the facts. Without Jesus, you're never going to thrive. And the only way he will bless you is to let go and trust him in everything. Season of surrender is that time when we begin to realize, you know, there has to be more to life than what I have right now. And I hear the gospel of Jesus Christ who says, whosoever believes in me will not perish but have everlasting life. And so I choose to give my life to Jesus. I choose to trust him as my Savior and to follow him as my Lord. And that happens in the season of surrender. The season of surrender comes in the life of a believer. When you begin to say to yourself, you know, I've been satisfied long enough to just do this in a superficial kind of way. It's got to be deeper than this. I want the Lord to have my life in ways he's never had me before. So today I choose to surrender. Lord, have your way in my life. After the season of surrender, there's the season of growth. This is the season when the Lord is actively changing you from the inside out. That's when God takes you at your word and he begins to do the work that has to take place for you to become everything the Lord wants you to be. Too many people leave, believe the quality of their Christian life is revealed by the externals. You know, I show up in the right places, I do the right things, I say the right words, I act the right way. I do all of that external stuff and because of that I must be a pretty good Christian when the truth is inside you're still drying up. Things need to change. The Bible reminds us that real growth always happens on the inside first. It's not about the externals. It's not about learning where to go. It's not about learning what to do. It's about learning who to trust and how to follow. That's the important part of the process where God is doing something in you that nobody else can see. One of the things that is always true about that season of growth is often what God is doing in you is something that others don't recognize at least not immediately but you know you know the Lord's at work I am not who I once was I love the way Stephen Brown says it Stephen Brown says I'm not all I ought to be but thank God I'm not what I used to be does that make sense to you? That's what goes on in that season of growth. It is the work of Christ in you. Here's the thing though. It's usually during the season of growth that the Lord leads you to go through times of struggle and hardship and pain. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. But it's true. It's true that in that season of growth is often those times when we experience real setbacks. It's that season of growth when we are pushed and we struggle. It is during the season of growth that things don't always go our way. That season of growth reminds us of the epistles of the Apostle Paul who seems over and over again as he is speaking the word of God into the lives of people to say, 
And don't forget me because I'm struggling. I'm struggling physically. I'm struggling materially. I'm struggling uh, with hunger. I'm struggling with fear. I'm up against opposition. I'm struggling, but I'm growing. It's in the midst of the struggle that he's the one who said, I learned in all things, just be content. That's no accident. It's through the challenges that come into our lives that God fulfills his plan. And often those are plans that can only be fulfilled through the struggle. It can never take place in an easier way. Here's what we need to remember. The hardship is part of the growth. The hardship is part of the growth. It is necessary to make you strong. 1986, a group of scientists participated together in an experiment they called the biosphere. It was near Oracle, Arizona. They decided to go out and they were going to create a perfect environment. They set out a, a series of, of globes, of bubbles that, that were completely self-contained. And they decided we're going to live in this place together, eight of them. We're going to live in this place. We will grow our own food. We will cultivate our own environment. We will take care of ourselves. We're going to be completely self-sufficient within our bubbles and find out what it's like to live in a perfect environment. And for a while... Things went along really well. They were able to grow the food they needed. They knew how to, they learned how to filter their own water. They knew how to control their atmosphere. And everything seemed to be going along really well. And then something really strange began to happen. They discovered that all of the trees they had planted within their bubble, within their uh, dome, would reach a certain height, about 15, 18 feet. And all of them did exactly the same thing. One day, each one of the trees would just come crashing to the ground. The next day, another one would find its way falling over. They discovered that for some reason within the biosphere, you cannot grow a tree taller than 15 or 18 feet. And they couldn't understand why. They set, to, set out to discover why is it that we can't seem to grow a tree any taller than just a couple of times larger than we are. And they couldn't find any kind of parasite, and they couldn't find any kind of mold, and they couldn't find any kind of disease, and they couldn't find any kind of common explanation for why these trees kept falling over and dying. And then the day came when they discovered the truth. It wasn't what was in the trees, it was what was missing. And you know what was missing? The wind. There was no wind within the biosphere, which meant that the trees never had to struggle against the stress of blowing winds or raging storms. And because of that, they never developed a root system that would enable them to survive. And so when the time came that they reached a certain size and the branches reached a certain width, they no longer could support themselves. And they fell to the ground. Now, that's an interesting story, but what makes it such an important story? I think it's simply this. Most of us, if we were going to describe a thriving life, would say something like this. I want a life where everything goes my way. 
I want to make sure that I have plenty of money to spend. I want to make sure I have plenty of food to eat. I want to make sure that everything I'm doing just makes me happy. I just want everything to go my way. And the Lord reminds us, if you live that kind of life, sooner or later, what's going to happen? Thump. We're just not made to live without stress in our lives. Instead, it's those times of pressure, those times of hardship, those times of struggle, those times of pain that draw us to the Lord and make us depend upon him. Those times when I think I've got this under control and I can handle it, those are the times that are going to create trouble in my life. This is what you learn in the season of growth. You find that the struggles drive you to a deeper faith than you have ever known. It is the seasons of struggle that teach you how much you really trust him. It is enduring the challenges that will lead you beyond easy believism and cause you to develop a strong trust in Jesus Christ that would not exist any other way. And the season of growth also prepares you to experience the third season of a flourishing life. And that is the season of fruitfulness. That's the season when you see God most clearly at work through your life. It's the season when your walk with Christ begins to reproduce itself in the lives of other people. It's the season of fruitfulness that the Lord uses, to make, uses you to make a real difference for Christ. In John 15, 16, Jesus said it this way, You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should remain. That third Excuse me, that third season, after the season of growth, after you've endured that season of pressure, after sometimes you've endured that season of stress and struggle, and you've endured and you've sawn through, you've seen it through, then you begin to experience the fruitfulness that only comes into a faithful life. And you begin to say to yourself, you know, if I had known what the result would be, enduring the struggle wouldn't have been quite so hard. It is the Lord who brought me through the pressure that prepared my life to bear fruit for him. It requires a patient heart. All of us want to be fruitful. All of us want our lives to make a difference. Everybody wants their life to count. But here's the thing. If it were left up to us, we would rush through the requirements of surrender and the challenges of growth, and we would go straight to fruitfulness. It just doesn't happen that way. Fruitfulness is the byproduct of maturity, and maturity only comes in God's time and in God's way. It is the most satisfying season of all, but to get there, you have to go through that experience of real personal surrender. And you have to allow God to guide you through that season of growth. And only then are you ready for that season of fruitfulness. It's the season that makes the struggles and the obstacles worth the price 
you had to pay. Because it's during the fruitful season that you begin to think as God thinks and to feel as God feels and to act as God acts. And you begin to realize, I truly am a whole new person in Christ. The presence and the actions of the Holy Spirit become more evident to you. It's not that he hasn't been there before, but it's that you weren't able to see his hand at work the way you do during that season of fruitfulness. It is the season of Christ in you, the hope of glory. And here's what the psalm reminds us of. And you cannot pick and choose between the seasons of growth. God's plan requires that you flourish by walking through them all. It's impossible to choose fruitfulness and skip surrender. You can't experience growth and choose not to bear fruit. You have to do them all. They all have to be real in your life. You have to live through every season of faith. But when you do, Christ has made a promise to you. And it is this. Your Christian walk will flourish and not fail. I love the promise of Psalm 92:14. That's where the Bible says, "They shall still bear fruit in old age; they shall be fresh and flourishing." What is the Bible saying? The Bible is saying this: When you trust him and walk with him through the season of surrender and the season of growth, and you reach that season of fruitfulness, God continues to work in you for a lifetime. He continues to work through you, young and old, good and bad, easy and hard. You will not fail. They shall bear fruit in old age. I don't have permission, so I'll just ask forgiveness. Just ran into Dr. Scott this morning before Sunday school. We were talking in the hallway outside your classroom. And I was talking about how good he looks these days and that it looks like he's just regaining his strength and looking better and, and how much he's had to endure over the last couple of years. And uh, he told me, he said, yeah, he said, you know, the way I think about it sometimes, he said, I think I'm not sure I feel good enough. I'm not sure I'm ready to go and teach the Bible whether it's Sunday school or Wednesday or whatever. And he said, but then I look back over what I've gone through recently and I say to myself, you know, you should have been dead ten times. You better go teach the Bible. Hope it's okay to share that. That's exactly what Psalm 92 is saying. Psalm 92 is saying, and for a lifetime, you continue to make a difference. And there's never a time when God says the flourishing is finished. And all the way to the end, God keeps working through your life. And then he takes you home to be with him. What is God's plan for your life and mine? His plan is not that we have an easy time of it. His plan is not that we understand everything that happens. His plan is not that everything goes our way and we never go through seasons of struggle or heartache or pain. His plan is that our lives flourish. And that comes through personal faith in Jesus Christ. 
It means recognizing I have that root system in Christ that is so deep. I can stand through the storms. I have a trust and a surrender that makes me understand whatever may happen, my life is hidden in Christ and I'm going to be fine. To flourish is to know Jesus Christ is at work in me and he's never going to stop until I see glory. To flourish is to recognize my whole life is found in Christ and Christ alone. So my question for you this morning is, does that describe your life? Does that describe who you are? Maybe you're here today, you're not a believer. That's where it all starts with that commitment of surrender. I want to trust Jesus Christ to be my Savior and my Lord. And maybe today you need to come. I'll be here to meet you at, at, at the invitation. And I would love to introduce you to the Savior. Because he changes everything. Or maybe you're here and you're recognizing, oh, I just need to plant myself in a fellowship that's going to love me and grow me and teach me God's word. And I think God's leading me right here to First Baptist. And you just need to come and become a part of our fellowship. Or, or maybe you're here as a believer and you're recognizing, you know, I just haven't really been experiencing that flourishing hand of God in my life. And maybe it's because I've been allowing the struggles and the tensions of life to draw my attention from him instead of bringing my attention to him. And today I just want to say, it's time for me to recommit myself to a life that is focused on the Lord Jesus Christ. Is there a decision you need to make today? We're going to stand. We're going to sing our invitation hymn. As God's Spirit speaks, you come. Let's stand together. Let's sing. for a minute. Tyler, come up here and stand with me. This is the fulfillment of something we've been praying for and looking forward to for some time now. Back when we had the, the day we had the Easter egg hunt, 
Tyler said to his mom, I need to go talk to Dr. Cooley. I need to become a Christian. And she said, well, we'll talk to him. And then after we have lunch and Easter egg hunt, then we'll sit down and talk. And he said, no, I mean right now. I mean, they came and grabbed me from the door. And we went right now, didn't we, Tyler? And we talked about what it means to be a Christian. And he invited Jesus to be a Savior. And he trusted him. And we've been so excited. And then we've been waiting a little while till it was just the right day, haven't we, Tyler? For you to come and to tell the church what Jesus has done in your life. And today he comes to tell you he's a Christian and he wants to be baptized and follow Jesus. And he's going to live for him the rest of his life. And if you want Tyler to know how excited you are about this decision, you say amen. Amen. Now, Matt and Amy, y'all come up here and stand with Tyler. And we are so so excited about what Jesus has done in his life and we are so looking forward to baptism very soon and God has been good hasn't he he amen so we're going to take a minute I'm going to invite you to stand and I'm going to ask Matt and Amy to take Tyler out where you can talk to him in the lobby and as soon as we're done with the service You go by and you let him know how excited you are about what Jesus has done in his life. You know, I'm seeing tears around here. And I think it's because we all remember that day when Tyler first showed up. And how we've watched him grow up from an infant to a young man ready to make his commitment to Jesus. So you go by and let him know how excited you are about what Christ has done in his life. Let's pray together and then we'll close with one last song. Father, we do thank you, Lord, for what you've done in Tyler's life. Thank you that he is so serious about following Jesus. And we want to ask you to bless him. And Father, thank you that he's part of a church that's going to love him and watch him as he grows in Christ. And Father, we just look forward to his baptism and to watching him walk in faith. Bless him, Lord, we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. To God be the glory, to God be the glory, to God be the glory for the things he had done with his blood.